Friends, let's pray together. Lord God, as we now come to the teaching of your word, we ask that you would speak, O Lord, that we hold you to your promise in Isaiah 55, 11, that your, your word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Bless me now as I communicate your word. May it be clear and may it be used for your glory and the blessing of all who hear it. Lord, as we, as we give financially, we ask for you to bless those gifts, bless those who are giving. Father, you, you know, and, and we need to understand, so show us and remind us how, how giving helps us to remember that you're first, uh, that we're a part of what you're doing in the world. So bless these gifts that we give and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of giving, again, you can, of course, mail your gifts to the church, and many of you are doing that, it's fine. What we would encourage you to do is to give electronically. That's something my family has set up, and I know it's different, but these are different times, and setting up that recurring gift is it's a real blessing to the church, knowing that you intend to be faithful in that calling, and it also puts that there for you as well as a consistent reminder of the importance of, of being a financial steward and celebrating what God has done. So please continue to pray for the congregation, pray for the ministries that go through us to the world. Uh, these, these dollars are, are vital right now. So uh, continue to pray through that and continue to, to be generous. Let me also encourage you to look on the bulletin that's there on the website. You'll probably, if you're on Facebook, you'll probably need to go to our website. And there, uh, open the bulletin, you'll see the Awakening Prayer. We'll also publish that tonight on Facebook and Twitter and, and, and that sort of thing, the social media outlets. And again, we're praying every day for an awakening. And then we have specific prayer focuses for each day. And I do want to encourage you to participate and to, and to pray. Let's pray together as a congregation. And, and finally, I, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get in a small group right now. I know some of you are like, well, I should have signed up, should have already done that, or hey, I'll do that when, when this whole big mess is over. Don't do that. Go ahead and get, get in one right now. And to do that, you can go to our church website and you can go to our ministries or ministers. And Jeremy Wade is the pastor uh, that you would contact. Just hit his email and you can email him directly. Or the easiest way is just do info at lhbg.org. Put in the subject line, small group, and just say, hey, I, I want to be in one. And again, it's not just adults. On Wednesday night, my son Asher was uh, with his group. And I tell you, it was such an encouragement to him. Uh, you know, he's an easygoing kid. He doesn't worry about a whole lot. But it was really funny. He and I were, were talking later that night about how it really did encourage his heart to, to see Teddy as leader and Mr. Hornell and some of the other boys and, and to talk through scripture and pray together and laugh together. And I wanna encourage you to go ahead and get in a small group. Make sure parents that you're getting your children, especially middle school, high school, they're participating in those Zoom small group conversations. And again, if you're having any trouble with that, just let us know. Info at lhbg.org. It will get to the appropriate minister. We'll be in contact with you immediately. And again, it gives us an opportunity to experience community. And, and one of the ways we do this as well is by staying focused together in, in what it is God has called us to. This year, we're talking about 2020 vision, seeing what God can do. Here's what we know. God has the power to change any life. There's no sin too great that he cannot forgive. His blood, his, his cross, his sacrifice will cover that. 
here's what we know. God took people like us. He took a guy like me and he saved me and he called me and and now he's working in my life. And, And what a joy that is. And here's what we know is that God's at work in the world and we can be a part of it. And as, as members of the body of living hope and as Christians, as, as those who've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, we have a responsibility to the great commission given to us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20 to make disciples, to baptize them, and then to teach them to observe all that God has commanded. We're, we're at Living Hope, we're talking about an impact. We've been talking about this for months, impacting our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. And you think about where God has us right now, right in our homes, right around our neighbors, right around, at least for us, multi-generational opportunities there because of who our neighbors are, and then also connecting with family in different ways, different ages, different seasons of life. God's put us right where he wants us. And so we can, we can make this impact. And I'm excited about the number of folks just this last week who came to Saving Faith in Jesus Christ. The, the folks who, who were talking with them, they used the three big things conversation. Again, three big things is a conversation. It's not a program. It's not a, it's not a tract. It, it really is just a way of helping people understand how to believe, uh, why baptism is important, how they can be an ambassador. And again, it all begins with us praying for them, begins with us simply giving care and then being open to a spiritual conversation. Here's what I know and what the, the media seems to be communicating real clear right now is that people are really open to having spiritual conversations. People are thinking about life and death. And here we who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the answer to life. We have the victory over death. The answer is Jesus. The victory is Jesus. And three big things is a wonderful way. It's such an easy way for us to be able to have that conversation. If you've not been trained in three big things, again, info at lhbg.org. Just say, subject line, three big things, train me. You will be contacted by one of our leaders. We have almost 100 leaders or more now that have been trained. And so there's lots of po- folks that can walk you through it at, at your convenience, their convenience. It's not complicated. It's so simple. And, and it's a great way to, to be able to be a part of the impact that God wants to have. Now, we are starting a three-part series today. Today's Palm Sunday. Next, uh, next week is Easter Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to look at another one of the great promises of God. And that's what this whole series is about. See the greatness of God. The God of the Bible is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And and what we're going to celebrate in this series and what we're going to see is how he has been faithful. Before time began, God had a plan. He revealed that plan through his word. He he assured us that the plan was was taking place and going to happen through his promises. His plans are perfect. He always does what is best. And his promises have shown us who he is and what he's going to do. He promised to save a people for himself. He promised he would send Jesus. He promised he would send the Holy Spirit. Jesus has come. The Holy Spirit has come. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. We have hope because of the gospel. And, and we know when we, when we talk about three circles, we, we understand God's design was perfect, but we don't live in a perfect world anymore. No, the world we live in is broken, and that's because of sin. So we went from... God's design, and we sin, which created brokenness. But because of the gospel, we can now repent. That is, turn away from our self-sufficiency. We can turn away from 
trusting in ourselves or any created thing, and we can turn away from sin and all that stuff, and we can believe in Jesus Christ that he is the Son of God, and we can ask him to forgive us and take over the control and direction of our life, which frees us to pursue and recover God's design. And disciples of Jesus who repent and believe, that's what we do. We pursue and recover God's design based on the promises of his word, and that gives us hope. Now, as I've mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus entered in, and I always like to think about it this way. Jesus entered into the battlefield to fight for our freedom. It was here that Jesus Christ became our victor. He came to, to save us by defeating the two greatest enemies any of us have, sin and death. He came in humility and power. And that's what we see in our text today. Our text today is in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the Apostle Matthew, when, when he wrote the, the Gospel, it, it, it appears that he had a Jewish readership in mind. His original readers were probably Jewish people. There's, there's a lot of imagery that he uses that pulls on the Old Testament and particularly the promises of God. I know our text today, it shows so much of the faithfulness of God and, and his power to keep his promises. Uh, his point that we're gonna see today in the story is that our God is a promise-keeping and promise-making God. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Matthew chapter 21. This is the triumphal entry, uh, Entry, yes, and I, I know you're probably comfortable in your seats, but I hope that you've got your Bible, and I hope that you are, are ready to read along with me, just, just in case you know there's a little slumber, but certainly out of respect for God's Word, why don't you go ahead and stand up with me, and let's look together. We're in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew, again, is the, the first book of the New Testament, um, the gospel. We're going to be in chapter 21, and we're going to be... We're going to be looking at verses 1, 1 through 10 today. No, 1 through 11. All right, let's read. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mountain of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their clo uh, cloaks, and, they sat on, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on a road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that were uh, before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If you would, go ahead and be seated. And so let, let's look at this text together. Understand that, that he was there in uh, a city, um, uh, Bethphage. He was about an hour, uh, not an hour, about a mile east of Jerusalem. 
And you look at verses one through three. I mean, this is kind of comical to me anyway. Um, he tells the, the disciples uh, to go on an errand. It's kind of strange. It's like, hey, you're going to go here, you're going to see this guy. It, it made me think when I was reading this of uh, the church I served before I came to Living Hope. Um, when I began there, I was about 23, 24 years old. And uh, there were times, because we were a mobile church, we met in a school, and so we had to set up everything. Our offices were mobile, and we were always having to, to be creative and come up and solve problems. I mean, there's always something going on, and we always kind of needed something or borrowed something or had to go get something. And uh, my supervisor, a lot of times, would say, okay, look, you're going to go to this person, tell them who you are, uh, this is what you're going to get, and this is where you're going to bring it, and, and then we'll go from there. And a lot of times, I didn't know what the item was, uh, he, he described it. I still had no clue. Uh, a lot of times I didn't know the people I was going to, to borrow it from or buy it from or get it from, whatever. And then we'd come back and, and then, you know, I would kind of figure out, oh, this is, this is what we're doing now. And, and so this kind of the situation with the, uh, with the disciples. They, they don't know what's really kind of going on here. They're just, hey, Jesus said go do it. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, no, none of us right now knows really why God is allowing this pandemic but here's what we know. God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. There's something good in this for his glory and for his purpose. And, and we can trust him in this. And, and this is the hope of all who believe in Jesus. See, we know God has plans that are made, uh, that, that he's told in his word. These are his promises. And God promised Jesus, and now Jesus has come. And because Jesus has come, there are certain things now that we can do. And that's what I want you to take note of today as we walk through the remainder of this text. Note, first of all, this. God promised Jesus, and now we can know the prophecy of Jesus. Now, these disciples, again, you, you look at those first few verses, uh, they, they were just doing what they were told. Little did they know that they were a part of setting up one of God's greatest miracles. And the miracle is this. God was keeping a promise that he had made almost 500 years before the coming of Christ. See, in Zechariah 9.9, the, the prophet Zechariah, he, he prophesied around 500 years before the coming of Jesus. And listen to this prophecy, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a promise. This is a prophecy that was, that was fulfilled this day, Palm Sunday. It was written 500 years before the coming of Christ. It's not an accident. It's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. You know, it's so interesting to me that how some people try to make the Bible to say things that are not the intention of the Bible. What we have to remember always, friends, is that the Bible is telling a single story. There's four parts to it. Creation. God made all things in harmony, fall. We have all sinned and, and caused uh, the corruption uh, of, of the world. Rescue, Jesus Christ has come. Restoration, one day Jesus will come again. That is what the Bible is about. It's not about us. 
It's not about us getting things. It's about us knowing God, about walking in his hope, his love, his peace through salvation in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we get to experience. That's what God is doing in the world. That's what he's done. It's what he's going to do. And that's what the Bible is about. You know, it always unnerves me when I hear experts uh, telling us what the Bible really means and and speaking of prophecy and what it's really about and, and friends it's it's not about us it's not what we're interested in the the <laughs> you got to be careful these modern Bible conspiracy theorists is what I would call them need to they need to be doubted because they're guessing they're guessing, and they're really unable to predict what is coming. I, I like this picture. A friend of mine I put this out on Facebook uh, this week. Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> the reality is, you know, prophecy is about what God has said and what God is doing. It, it's, it's not about us and what we get and what we do. It's about what God has done. It's about walking in his way and experience his love and life. You know, the prophet Zechariah, he was not guessing. No, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write God's holy word. He wrote this knowing that it would become true. You know, God, God promised and provided over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus that have been fulfilled. And these prophecies, they do three things for me. For me, these are three things that, that prophecies of God do for me. First of all, they affirm the authority of Scripture. They tell me this Bible's real. This Bible has power. What God said he was going to do, he's done. And so I can see, I can know through the, through the fulfillment of these prophecies. There's, it's not an accident. It's not coincidence. It's providence because the authority of the scripture, God has said it. And so it has happened. It's going to happen. It, it is happening. It also affirms the, uh, the authenticity of the Christian faith for me. Here's what I know. Every day I read my Bible and I find the word of God speaking to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know there's some who don't know Christ and they read their Bibles and, and I believe they're sincere and I, and I believe there's an academic desire to understand what it says, but here's what I know. The, the, the spiritual things, they have to be discerned by the Holy Spirit and only those who have the Spirit of God in them through, through the work of God, only they can really understand how the Spirit of God is working through that text in their life. And that's what Scripture does for me every single day. Gives me this assurance of my own salvation, assurance that I am His child. And that's what these prophecies do for me as well, as they remind me who Jesus is, this Jesus I believe in. And so as, as we read our Bibles, we can see how God has provided in the past. We can trust that he's going to provide in the future. You know, one of the promises I'm holding on to these days, something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of far more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. 
Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, God kept his promises in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ. He has that kind of power. He's given us commands and promises in his word, and we can take him at his word. We can trust him. We can walk with him. He will see us through whatever it is we face because that's the kind of God he is. That's, how, that's the kind of God he's proven to be and how he works in the world according to his word. Second thing to note is this. God promised Jesus, and now we can get prepared for Jesus. You know, I doubt this is how the disciples anticipated their day going. Now, they, they probably knew they were going to Jerusalem for the Passover, and, and I'm sure they were kind of anticipating there would be a supper, and I'm sure they were thinking that this was going to be something cool because Jesus was always doing, you know, cool stuff. I don't think they had any idea they were part of fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy. Uh, you know, one that re reminds me is that, you know, none of us ever completely understand what God is doing. But what we can do and, and what we are called to do is to be ready to join him in whatever he has for us. You know, if you would have asked me, <laughs> uh, if you would have asked me three months ago, hey, what do you think Easter is going to be like this year? You know what I would have said? I would have said, oh my goodness, oh man, we're gonna get our entire church, we're gonna invite everybody, and we're gonna have the largest one-time gathering of living hope and our family and friends to worship the resurrected Christ. You know what I think's gonna happen now? We're gonna have the largest scattering of living hope in the history of the church. All of our friends and family in their homes worshiping God on Easter Sunday. Boy, no clue three months ago what God has for us now. Here's what I do know. God has a plan. God is all powerful and God is good. So regardless of the way I thought things were gonna be, it doesn't matter regardless of the way you thought things should be, it doesn't matter. Here's what we can know. All of us who have submitted ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ by repenting of our sin and believing in our Lord Jesus is that he has a plan, that he is powerful, and that he is good. And so we can, we can walk with him. We just need to simply be prepared to join him in what he was doing. You know, the way the people recognized Jesus that day is how we need to be prepared even now uh, for, for this day and everything that is ahead of us, every day that's coming. You know, how do, how do we need to prepare for Jesus? First of all, we need to obey Jesus and what he has already said to do. So you look there in verse six, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. Friends, we need to live in obedience to Jesus. Jesus shows us his will when we are walking in his way. His word reveals to us his plan when we are living and walking in his way. If you're not walking in the way of Jesus, you're hearing one simple consistent message, come to Jesus, 
come to the way, the truth, and the life. Until you come to the way, the truth, and the life and are walking in obedience to him, you, you can't know what's next. You, you're just kind of falling about. You're tripping about. Sometimes you trip in the right direction. Sometimes you trip out of God's way. And, and friends, that's no way to live. The Lord has called us to obedience, and it's in that path of obedience that we understand God's will as we're walking in his way. The second thing is we need to recognize Jesus as the king of kings. Look in verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. That is their cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Now, spreading one's garments uh, on, before a person and having them either seated or walking or traveling across them was a way for you to say, you are my king. You are my Lord. You are my ruler. I submit to your authority. And, and obeying Jesus means that we submit to his authority. We acknowledge that he is king. And, and so we say, Lord, everything in my life, you know, taking off that cloak, that was an important garment. When we give financially, when, when, we, when we share the word of, of hope of the gospel with, with people who don't know him, whenever we step out in obedience and it's costly to us, that's us saying, Lord, I am obeying you. I trust you, and I'm doing this because you're my king. Third, we acknowledge allegiance to Jesus and celebrate his anticipated victory. Look at the last part of verse 8. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. What they were doing is they were celebrating who Jesus is and the victory. Uh, this this uh, cutting of, of, of palm branches and placing before it was a way to, to symbolize uh, allegiance to the king and to celebrate victory. That's what they would do when there was a victory. When the king was coming in, in after the victory, and what this is saying is, Lord, you're our victor. You're our savior. You're the one we're counting on. And, and we are obeying him recognizing him as king, acknowledging his victory, we are to number four, declare who Jesus is. He's the savior of the world and the promised Messiah from the line of David. Look what it says in verse nine. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, that means save us or savior to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, savior in the highest. I mean, they're worshiping, they're celebrating, and they're, they're pointing to the fact of what God said would happen. See, since the day of the fall, God promised the savior would come. And, and since the fall, God promised a savior four things that, that, that I wanna show you here. The savior that would, and who would rather, first of all, be a man. Genesis 3.15, speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his, his heel. So here is the he. It's a, it's a human be being from the, from, uh, from the line of Adam and Eve. And he was going to absolutely be, be gripped by the evil one. But ultimately he would crush the head of the evil. And that's what Jesus did. The Savior was promised to be a man. Secondly, uh, the Savior would, would be from the line of Judah. And this is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Genesis 49.10, this was Israel's uh, prayer of blessing. Uh, we read the scepter in verse 10, Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So we know in Genesis there's going to be a savior, Messiah, a man. 
this will be a man from the line of Judah who will be king. The, the king, kingly line he will come through, number three, is from the line of David. You can read Isaiah chapter 11, read that and be blown away. Also, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I love this direct promise given to David by the, the prophet Nathan. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. What, what God was saying there is that it will be through the line of David that the Messiah would come. And that's what the people were celebrating on Palm Sunday when they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were, they were pointing to this truth that the Old Testament said over and over again that the Messiah would be a man through the line of Judah, through the line of David, through the root of Jesse, David's dad, and, and that this promise would come about. And that finally, that there would be a savior who would be the sacrifice for the sins of God's people. Isaiah 53, 11 speaks to this promise of God. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. There's the gospel. He, sh he make many to be accounted righteous. When we repent and believe the gospel, we are given the righteousness of God because we're forgiven. And the punishment that we deserve the punishment for our sin, because the wages of sin is death, it, it, was, it was counted to Christ. He bore our iniquities. And when he died, he paid for our sin. All of this is promised in the Bible. I, I just gave you four promises, four prophecies, speaking of who Jesus is and what God said he would do. He's done that. And so we need to prepare to say, Lord, I'm gonna obey you, Lord. I, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to honor you. You're my hero. You're my savior. You're the king. And I'm with you. You're my savior. Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. See, once we recognize Jesus as our savior and God, we're prepared to face everything else, anything else. But friends, until Jesus is your savior, you're on your own. You have to deal with your sin and your shame and your guilt on your own. You have to go through life and death on your own. But here's the good news of Jesus. He will not only forgive you of your sin, having paid for it on his cross, he will live in you because he's been raised. He will, through the power of his Holy Spirit, he will give you life and that life will last forever and he will be with you in life and in death. Third thing to note is this. God promised Jesus, and now we can uh, go proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And so once he got into Jerusalem in verse 10, the whole city was stirred up. The last time this happened is when Jesus was born, and the wise men came into Jerusalem, the Magi, looking for the, the new king, and it stirred up the whole city. Now, again, Jesus is stirring up the whole city, and they're saying, who is this? And the people say, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Yes, he is the prophet. And hopefully they were pointing to the promise of Deuteronomy where Moses said there would be a, another prophet who will come to, uh, to you uh, like me. But it may very well be that they, they didn't understand the fullness, like his disciples didn't really understand the fullness of, of who Jesus is. When they were asked, they said he's a prophet. But Jesus is much more than a prophet. He's much more than just a, another, 
another holy person, an, a, another uh, leader of a religious sect. No, no, that's not what Jesus said. I, I appreciate the words of C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote A Mere Christianity, a wonderful book uh, that helps us understand the faith. In it, he writes... I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus never intended for us to understand anything other than the fact that he is God. He is God Almighty. From, from before the beginning of time, all things were made through him. By his might, all things are now sustained. This, this baby that was born in a manger lived a holy life. He came. He came on that Palm Sunday to make it clear that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is God in the flesh. And either you believe that or you don't. You know, Jesus once said to his disciples, uh, he asked them this question in Matthew 16, 15, but who do you say I am? Let me ask you that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he God? Is he a liar? Is he evil? Peter in verse 16 said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's what you can know. If you have never come to that conclusion, if you've never repented and believed the gospel, and again, to come to that conclusion is not just to give mental assent. We talked about that last week. It is to confess. It is to say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm not trusting in me anymore. It is to pray to God and ask him to forgive you. It is to acknowledge to God in your prayer, you are God. You are my Savior, Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And those who have been saved, we have a responsibility to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When Christ redeems us, forgives us of our sin, we begin a relationship with God. It gives us peace with God, gives us peace within, allows us to pursue peace with others. And, and in that relationship with God, we have a new identity. We have a new purpose. And that purpose is bigger than us. It's, it's, it's not about our comfort anymore. It, it's not about, about what we want to do. It's about what God has called us to do. 
It's about acknowledging him as the Savior, as our King. So it says in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As our king, we belong to him. We're his servants. And as his servants, we are his ambassadors. Our home and our citizenship is in heaven with God. We are now sojourners. We are now foreigners in this world but we are ambassadors. We are here to speak on behalf of our king to the world. We are to go to our neighbors, into our homes, to every generation with the hope of Jesus and to, and to represent him with this new life and to tell them what we know of our king, what we know of the kingdom, what we know of his promises and his word and his love. Right now, friends, right now in your home, among your neighbors, a person of every generation that you know is dealing with life and death. They're thinking about it. They're seeing it, they're seeing it on the news. They're hearing about this COVID-19 everywhere they go. They're hearing the stories. They're hearing the data. They're, they're, they're being told the hundreds of thousands within our country who are going to die. Friends, we have a responsibility as ambassadors we have responsibility as people who have been loved by God to care for our neighbors, to care for the people in our home, to speak to every generation, not to do what makes us comfortable, not, not to do what, what, whatever we want, but to genuinely love and to care for people and to tell them Tell them who Jesus is. Tell them what Jesus has done. You know, for me, the, the three big things conversation is the easiest way I know to have that conversation. It's, it's such a simple tool. And I would encourage you, get trained in it. But right now, start praying for people you know who aren't believers. Start giving care to them. Start encouraging them to walk with the Lord. And then be ready to have those gospel conversations as an ambassador for Christ. Friends, I don't know where you are today, and so I want to challenge you wherever you are, and, and I want to encourage you right now to respond to the Lord in prayer and, and to what His Word has said. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for sending Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming and being our victor. Lord, I know that there are some right now who need to repent and believe. Move them, Lord. Friends, right now, if, if you need to repent and believe in Jesus, say this prayer to him right now. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I confess that I have sinned, and I confess that I believe with all my heart that you have died for my sin and that you love me, that you're alive. Please come be my leader and my king. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that, if you've confessed with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is your king, that he is the savior, then you've been saved. Some of you have already prayed that prayer, but you're not in the way. You're not walking with the Lord. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for wandering away from you. Lord Jesus, I want to be under your authority. I want to do what you've commanded me to do. Walk with me, Lord. And now for us all, let's pray. Father, we pray for those who are 
who are not in a relationship with you. If you would right now, pray for someone you know that, that or at least you, you think is, is not someone who knows and loves and obeys Jesus and ask God to make them a disciple. Lift their name to heaven now. Now invite Jesus to use you to be the one to have the conversation, to be the ambassador that tells them who Jesus is and what he's done. Father, bless us to impact our homes and our neighbors and every generation with the hope that we have in you. And we promise to give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you need to talk with someone, email us at info at lhbg.org. You can direct message us on any social media. We wanna hear from you. We wanna know how God is at work in, in your life and we wanna help. If you wanna get trained in three big things, now's the time, now's the opportunity. Until we meet again, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a great day.